0: Thank you so much for listening to Pushing Praxis, Dialogues for Transforming Teaching. This is a podcast with Celeste and Naina, where we talk with educators, organizers, students, parents, and all stakeholders in the education of our young people.
1: We're here to push ourselves to take theories and put them into practice in our classrooms, even and especially when it gets messy. Also, we're full-time educators, not professional podcasters.
0: We're recording these conversations during the socially distanced pandemic, often on weeknights and from our respective homes. So expect background noise and fatigue and real unpolished human complexities showing up in these conversations.
1: We're here to transform ourselves and our listeners through dialogues. So come along for the ride with us. Hi, Celeste.
0: Hey, Naina. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. How are you?
0: I'm hanging in. Um, it's been a year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, we're here today to to talk about, um, reflect on the conversations that we've had uh, with our guests so far. Um, reflect on the the sort of um pieces that we wanted to take away from each of those conversations that we wanted to implement into our classrooms that we wanted to explore and experiment with um and kind of report back to each other and and talk about how things are going how (laughs) yeah how things are going um so yeah
1: yeah so um so from from when the pandemic started until now like how do you feel like um your classroom teaching has like changed like what's been going on in your classroom
0: Oof. Oof um so yeah like well like okay so you and I talked about doing this podcast last summer right so that was the summer of 2020 um, we, we have been in dialogues, we've been having conversations, um, for almost a full year now, and we've had, um, conversations with the educators as well. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work. I, I, it's a blur, it's a blur to think about like exactly how um, my classroom has changed because everything has changed, you know. Um, And if I think about it, like, you know, uh, uh, the obvious changes are that, you know, we we went fully remote for almost a full year for for a full year. Um, We had uh, uh, organizing and like a lot, a lot of struggle around reopening schools. uh, around students and families, and the city getting the right resources to support students in remote learning in a in a district that's like deeply underfunded. Um, so, in in like well, a larger, I would
1: say it's not underfunded. It's it's uh it's what they choose to do with the funding.
0: <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Per student. The schools are underfunded. Yeah, the schools, so they, are, they yeah, the schools that's, are That's important. Yeah. That's important, though, because yeah. that's, a, that's an important <laughs> distinction because the money is there, right? It's just that they don't right. give it to the schools and the students. Right. Um, totally. Thank right. you for that caveat. Um, but yeah, uh, like, so I think those external circumstances and then the... the um, the sort of social revolutions that have been happening in this country in the past year around ending white supremacy, ending uh, police violence, um, ending, uh, uh, giving young people power in those conversations, that has, all of that has um, affected my teaching and affected what my classroom looks like, right? Um, So those external circumstances have been there and have, have, changed what teaching is and this is really funny because I've only been a teacher for three years and I've never had a full year in a single school and if I have it's been like it's been full of strikes and pandemics and (laughs) um so uh it's I don't know that I ever had a normal um to compare this to you know uh and so um so it's just kind of the same level of I don't know if I want to call it chaos, but just like having to roll with like the most extreme punches on my end. Um, And it's been hard. It's been hard. Like, I, I feel like um, I've been joking about this with my colleagues that as a Spanish teacher, I, I kind of, I feel a little um, uh, like a point of pride for me is that I feel like I have this magic power where I can help young people understand Spanish and acquire Spanish and speak Spanish. And it's really thrilling. Um, and I think teaching online has meant that my magic powers have been deeply compromised. <laughs> and I don't know how to do that as much um, because it's, I don't have any of the tools that I usually have. Um, and building relationships with young people, which has been so like that piece about how important relationships are has been so present in our conversations with Jessica, with Corey, with Andrea. Um, and it, we have just had to re- figure out how to build relationships differently. Um, so I think that's the big picture for me of how things have changed. Uh, how do you want to give like a big picture and then we can kind of like narrow into the, the pieces that we committed to?
1: Yeah. So for me. I would say um, going knowing students for like from September to March, and then you know going fully remote, uh, it was really really difficult for me, um, and so I I would like post during when the class would actually happen um, on the Google Classroom to just let my students know that I was there and I was thinking about mm. them instead of just posting assignments, I was like, I'm here. If you have questions, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, stream. Mm-hmm. And so it really was hard for me because I'm such a in-person, hands-on, engaged science teacher. And uh, just being able to look at students' faces, engage, like if they understand the topic, Ooh. it it was, it's, it's, it's really, it was really hard. And then just the te- technological divide uh, uh-huh. It it just yeah. really weighed heavily on me. Um, I I used to call my daughter like to help me to see if I was doing a Google Meet right. I just remember the first Google Meet I did with students. I had like I went to like Home uh, Lows and I got like like a whiteboard, and I was like, can y'all see it? And I just remember we were were trying to do formula writing because that's where we were at in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was just, I just remember just trying to learn all these apps and technologies to use my computer to be able to do problems. And it just really, it was really a struggle. And then um, the George Floyd situation happened. And I just, I was done. I had seen, like, all the other shootings and things of that nature, but for some reason, when I saw just the just the intent to just kill someone, and, and it was, like, the good guys, right, the, the protect and serve people that's supposed to protect and serve us, at that moment, I, I decided in my mind that I can't keep telling young people that, you know, if you're good and you go to school and you do this and that, you can escape, you can, you know, all of this stuff that's happening, um, but it's it's just really not true, you know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I decided at that moment that no matter uh, how smart I am, no matter how good I am, no matter if I follow any rules of society, that I'm still going to be judged based on the color of my skin. And I guess that just kind of sat with me and um, I just began to look for ways to teach my students about uh you know racism like the different levels of racism and so I to them about internalized racism systemic mm-hmm. interpersonal institutional so I just began to like really hone in on it and then I started to look for chemistry topics that kind of spoke to it too uh and so I just remember having a dialogue about George Floyd um and and just giving my students a space to kind of talk about how they felt
0: mm-hmm. um
1: and you know i wasn't surprised but just early on young people just really valuing property damage over mm-hmm. a person's life and i just had to you know talk to them about you know what it is that i i i value and not that um i i support looting or anything of that nature But I was just kind of trying to get them to understand that collectively, we we have to look at this situation because Mm -hmm. it's going to impact our it's going to keep impacting us. uh, And we have to decide how we're going to deal with it and not to try to be better than it. Right. We have Mm -hmm. to really grapple with it and be like, you know, racism exists and and, 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 and you can't get you can't wash the black off you. You can't be, you know you can't, you can't change who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have to figure out a way for us to be comfortable with it and deal with it and not like give in to the narrative that's in the media about, Mm -hmm. you know, people getting murdered by police or just get being harassed because of, Mm -hmm. you know, who they are. And so, um, you know, I just began to have those conversations. And so of course it filtered into this school year you know, at this new school. And I just remember challenging, you know, um, students at the very beginning of the school year to ask them what they think about it, you know, and not just put it to the side and let it be the Mm -hmm. elephant in the room Mm -hmm. that, you know, we had these open dialogues in in my classroom, you know, in every class and and Mm -hmm. students really had something to say. And then when Breonna Taylor's situation happened, mm-hmm. you know, we just, you know, began to talk about that. And so I feel like, I hope I've created like a space for students to learn science and to kind of deal with yeah. all of the social ills that are happening. And when they come into class, they know that I I care about the social ills and I'm not just teaching science, teaching science, teaching science, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I care about the social ills. And so that's that's kind of where the big picture for me where my blackness collided with my, my with my science teaching, head on, um, and it just said, you know, you can't just be this good person doing these good things and and ignoring the fact that this racism is endemic, it's in all facets of the society and, and, and kid, students need to know about it and they mm-hmm. need to be able to begin to understand it one of my students <laughs> said has America always been this racist like has mm-hmm. this been happening since the beginning I pulled up the constitution and I showed them that you know they basically were saying that black people were three-fifths human in the constitution mm-hmm. uh, and so I said yeah it has actually <laughs> been racist since mm-hmm. the deception and so mm-hmm. just being able to for me to share like my ideas about racism with students and them to feel comfortable about all the isms right feminism Mm -hmm. just everything (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um i think that i've i've uh that's what's happened major difference for me big picture difference for me Mm -hmm. to where i was more so you know i would talk about my own life but i didn't like kind of teach or explain or or try to get kids students to understand like what what racism is and how Mm. it impacts their learning. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's like the bigger picture Mm -hmm. thing for me that changed in my teaching uh, with the technology (laughs) learning fast, fast, fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the racism and just making sure my students feel comfortable that they can come in my classroom and share the social ills with me and that we all have to take on that burden and and try to figure Mm. out what we can do about it, so.
0: Thanks. So this, um, so that makes me think of um, what we were talking about with. Corey um, in our episode with Corey where he used the word alongside in terms of like how we are what our posture could be um, with our students that we don't have to be power over we can be power with we can be alongside them and as you were talking about how your blackness shows up in um, your classroom especially this past year and how you've been making it explicit I feel like as a white person um, you know none of us has all the answers but I also know that just by virtue of being a white person um, in a position of power with my students no matter how like democratic i try to make the classroom um, uh, there's still implications for just having (laughs) I don't want to say white power because that's not what I'm trying to say but um having person in power who is white means that maybe students of color don't feel as um as like there's more inhibition in terms of them being honest or feeling like I can be really transparent with my anger right now you know what I mean so so for me in having these conversations I've really tried to make myself alongside them um so like for for example um when Adam Toledo was killed, um, this happened uh, a matter of weeks ago in Chicago in our very own city, a 13-year-old who was um, shot dead by the police, um, uh, and I haven't watched the footage, but uh, the the response from the mayor's office was callous, to say the, the least, um, and there was a lot of anger, um, and trying to bring that up with my students and trying to bring up even the Brianna Taylor uh, situation and all these other moments of, of pain and suffering. My, what I've tried to do is make sure that my students know that I have, um, I, I have the power to make space for them, but I don't have, I'm not going to tell them what's happened. I'm not going to tell them um, how to analyze or understand what's happened, what I want to do, like literally, um some of these some of these moments when they happen, all I tell all I ask my students is, what's happening right now? like, what's going on? What do you see? what do you understand is going on? And I just give them space to to write that out to 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 share out. Um, and I thought about Corey when I was doing this because um I don't want to tell them like, Uh, this is the systemic problem, I want them to to explain it to themselves, to explain it to each other, to explain it to me, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and giving them um, like one of the tools that I use a lot and I'm sure teachers on here will understand this, but Pear Deck is one of the tools that I use, which <laughs> <Yes>. is, <laughs> when I say like when I say Pear Deck to parents or like my friends or like, I don't know what you're saying, um, but like, it's basically, I can make my, my PowerPoint slides interactive where students can write and I can project what they're writing, but it's anonymous, which I think has given them a lot of power. Um, to be able to say what they are actually thinking. And let me give a caveat to that. It's anonymous to when I project it. Like none of the students know who wrote what. I know who wrote everything. And I tell them that. I'm like, it's anonymous to a point. I get to see who wrote what, but no one else will see. So they get to be really honest with each other. You know, it's not like there are some students who don't feel comfortable speaking out loud or like unmuting or writing it in the chat with their name attached. They've all of a sudden been able to be like, this is white supremacy, y'all. Like, I'm tired, or like, I'm. You know, they get to they get to explore um, their own honesty, um, and so I've been trying to think about that and um, and really conscientiously explore what it means, what what it would look like if I were trying to posture myself alongside, especially when it comes to issues of racial justice and white supremacy. As a white person, I'm really trying to who has power what What I try to do is hold space and like be be alongside them, you know, I spend most of the class period reading their words, and that's that's what that's what we do um so so uh, you know um and you I feel like what that. you're doing yeah, go yeah ahead. I feel
1: like what you're doing is what Corey talked about, like building coalitions across artificial boundaries, right I feel like race is like an artificial boundary mm. that is there um and then also teacher student power is also an artificial boundary that we we have to think about um crossing mm. to make you know teaching and learning uh something that we all can kind of stomach during this time because i tell the students it, you know the the pandemic and all of this other stuff this is like a lot of heavy burden yeah. on everyone, and to say that we're you know still just teaching and learning in school is mm. it's like <laughs> we're it's like missing. We're struggling, we're struggling. We're struggling to teach yes. and learn in school. Yes, and um and I think that that's good that you've decided to give them that space and um and and, and let them talk and and I, I think the other thing is for me as a as a, a black woman. I also make sure that I I give all the students, you know, their voice to talk because some students are like, you know, I, I, um, he, his mom did, she should have knew where he was. Right. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. all of that. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. it's hard though, because it, it, it hurts. It hurts to hear young people immediately, um, shifting the blame to the victim mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's, it's just showing that the narrative that society has put out there is working because it seems like every time a black or brown person is hurt um, then it's always their fault and all of their yeah. past and their you know everything and they're dead and they can't come back right yeah and so it's like this is I don't understand it and so it hurts to hear it and I yeah. have to like listen and not pass judgment but it also the students the other students are like oh my god mm-hmm. what are you talking about mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and but it's how society is right now and i had to tell the students i said do y'all know that when we were young people we used to sneak outside all the time all the time it doesn't make it doesn't make our parents bad people oh god. because we stuck yeah. outside uh because that's what we did. Yeah, know, we we, yeah. we we stuck outside. So yeah. but society is regulating everybody's soul that yeah. you know it's like oh him being outside is, is like a, a a thing, right? Yeah. Um so I I just I just really felt that even creating the space you still have to deal with the comments that may be that hurt deeply that it's hurting you deeply and your other students deeply. And so we have to make sure, even though we create that space, that we also give the students some direction in a sense when they're when they're replying and commenting Ooh. back to where they're respectful, right, to the other students that may not be in agreement with them. Right. They may they may all not be in agreement with them. And not like making the same like what they're saying is just off the cuff because I feel like a lot of times if you do that you'll just shut everybody down right so then you're not building any collective struggle right so we have to listen to the other side so that we can help the students know that it's not always going to be a conversation where everybody's in agreement and saying that this is the best way to deal with this right Right. when you're having a conversation it's going to be all these other factors coming into play and so I feel like that's That's, and that also taught me, you know, just thinking about, you know, what what he said, what Corey said about building coalitions. When I'm talking to other teachers in other spaces, like, you know, um, the the Human Rights Committee and and the Chicago Teachers Union, or just even at my school at grade level team meetings, I have to also understand that Teachers are going to have different perspectives, right? And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. can you have a productive conversation, yeah, with teachers about racism and things yeah. of this nature, right? So I think that that's something too. Um, so totally, yeah, totally. That's what that's what I, I kind of think about, and I, I guess we we have to keep pushing ourselves to be able to sit through these conversations to be able to build coalitions with other people that may not be on in the same mindset as you um but we can still try to shift each other and so, so, we can see each other's perspective and not just shut it off and be like, that's it. You know, I'm not going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just, I don't know how, I don't know how to do it, but I'm really trying hard to do it. Oh
0: uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. so like, okay. So like, um, totally, I think, um, there's a couple things that, uh, I want to respond to from what you just said, which is one of them being like, you know, it's hard when our young people come out with these things that are like internalized, um, hatred, um, internalized, like, like for example, when Adam Toledo was killed, hearing young people say like it was somehow his fault is so hard. Um, so hard. And, um, uh, and you also said there's other students who are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And that makes me think of something Andrea said, um, Ortiz, was like, students are way better at holding each other accountable than adults. And I think it's that thing again, where like, we have to, like, if I'm really thinking about myself, my job as holding space, when that, when those like really rough conversations come up, then that means that I hold space for students to dissent to like, to, to disagree with each other. Um, and it comes back to what we talked about with Andrea, which was collective agreements. Um, so like, uh, you know, before those conversations happen, I don't do this every time. And like, <laughs> I really need to practice like using collective agreements more consistently. Um, but, uh, but if I can foreground those conversations by reminding everyone what we all agree is like a healthy way to, to be in relationship with each other that if I remind them of those agreements that we all said like yes these are good then that's what we're going to center as we have these conversations so dissent is not only okay it's welcomed it's encouraged and we have to learn how to do that with love and I've it's incredible I found like I have some students who are really far right and some students who are really far left who disagree deeply and then um and 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 express that disagreement. And then a couple of days later, we have like a we do talent shows in Spanish class, because why the heck not? Um, and they like they cheer each other up. They like, they like are each other's hype hype man with with their talents. And there's just so there's just like there's ways where they hold complexity that I think, you know, what you were saying where like we have to build relationships as adults, like we can learn from. And it comes back to that alongside piece that Corey brought up. that I'm like, yes, like I, I learn from my young people. I have goosebumps just thinking about what I've learned from them this year. Like it makes me emotional to think about, I know it's been hard. I know I've had students who've had low points, um, who've experienced immense tragedy, who've even like cheated on my assessments, (laughs) like things that I, (laughs) that I know to be true. And like still the, um, the incredible, like Reflectiveness, the way they relate to each other, the way they um, they stay transparent about their struggles—like there's so much that I have to learn from them. Um, so uh, and yeah, this, yeah, I, I, so the, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, yeah, go
1: ahead. I, I, I definitely agree <laughs> with that. Um, learning from my students, uh, especially being at this new school, um, I I uh, I had started doing. Um, cogenerative dialogues um can you say more my, about my that for school. people who don't know yeah so cogenerative dialogues is where you actually give students a uh, space and kind of like give let them tell you about your instruction and how oh, it's going for them and how they feel <laughs> and um it it's it's like really something at my old school um they were like it's like We know you think that you're, like, really, like, got everything under control, but you really need to be looking because people aren't really paying attention like you want them to, and and so, and sometimes we're in our groups, you know, they're not really doing what they should be doing, and, but we you really need to be looking more because this, this is a lot more stuff going on in the class and wow. i really felt like at that time you know 25 24 years in that i had like the classroom management under control and that kind of like hit me like in my gut like when they oh were like oh my god no, just, no no you don't have it under control hey, wow. you need Wait, hey, all, you need like, to be
0: seeing just yeah. like thank you for sharing that because um like first of all it's it's i said terrifying when you start describing Katrina because I'm like that's so vulnerable that's so vulnerable to be like all right young people like tell me your honest opinions and it's so important and for you to admit like I I mean that I there is if I saw myself on video teaching I'd be like oh my god you know like it's there's so many things that we are just aren't going to do perfectly but I'm just grateful that you have like the the strength of character to be like. I was not doing, you know, my classroom management the way that I wanted to, which is the thing that I think teachers are very like no, things about. No, they me. You know? I, I didn't think it was a problem with my But classroom you're saying management. that on this podcast, they which said, is like such they vulnerability. Said
1: you need to get it together <laughs> with that. I was like, "What me? What? What are you talking about?" And so uh, it was so funny because um, a lot of people, you know, see me as like the disciplinarian teacher, like I got it under control. And to I was—that's the last thing I thought that they would say. You know, I, I didn't think that they would say that. And so I just was laughing so hard. Um, and I was what, like, "Wait, you were are you laughing? Serious? Did that not keep you?" Yeah, I because I just was like, "Are y'all serious?" They were like, "Yes." It was like so and so 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 they started like naming examples of students and what they Uh, were doing like when i was teaching and stuff it was just crazy and so i was like okay i'm really gonna be looking now and i just need y'all help too um, to help me um, because that's another part of the co dialogue it's not just the students giving charging the teacher with like this is what we need you to work on more mm-hmm. for us to help us learn better it's the students also y'all coming up with a plan in mm. class to kind of work on things and mm-hmm. so they said that they would agree to like kind of helped me out when things were happening. Uh, and then I also made sure that I paid more attention to the stuff that I thought that I was paying attention to. Mm-hmm. So um, I did that. And so I think that that was really telling. And then at my new school, in our very first meeting, um, since we're doing these uh, KPIs. Uh, Say what KPIs? Performance- a key performance indicator because we're doing uh proficiency-based learning and Mm. uh the students were like um it's like can we just stop doing the coca-cola phenomenon i was like what they were like because we just need for you to just tell us like what's going on with it what do you want us to learn from it can you just give us the answers i was like no (laughs) i was like no we we can't I said, um, I said. Now, if if you want me to like give you the full answer for the phenomenon, then we would have to change. Like, I couldn't keep using it. And I said, what what it allows me to do is get you to a higher level of thinking in in terms of modeling, developing, and using models. And so, if I change it, if I tell you all the answers to it, then I'm going to have to change it, right? And so, when they said that, I almost passed out. So. This is like I wrote a journal article on this unit, and the, mm-hmm. the the Coca Cola phenomena is the anchoring phenomena, right? And so I was like, no, mm-hmm. and they were like, I was like, so do y'all understand that it's really a teaching tool to help you to do higher level thinking? Mm-hmm. And um, can do you, can y'all agree to just kind of go with me with this? Um, or I could give you the answer and, um, then I would have to pick something else. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. to like kind of use. And so then I also reminded them of the other examples that I had given in class about modeling. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but they just really wanted to know the answer to the, you know, they were like, just tell us what it is, you know? Mm. And I just, I tried to, you know, I explained them from the teacher's side. Like why I wasn't giving them the full answers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so then they told me, they gave me permission. They said, no, you can just keep doing it if it's if something that you see helping us to learn this concept. Just keep mm-hmm. doing it. And they mm-hmm. they agreed. And then later on, I did, because um, I do the co-gen of dialogues, but I also do unit reflections where after a unit, I let them tell me, what helped them understand things better in the unit and things that didn't. And so they actually uh, said that the Coca Cola phenomena did help them. Hey. And so I was, I was so happy because, <laughs> but that was like, you know, and knew these are things that you, I, I didn't think that they would talk about something like that in this meeting. meeting, right? Just like I didn't think that they would be looking, these are two high level things that I think I am phenomenal at. And, and then they attacked both of them. And so wow. I was like, oh, God, yeah. oh, God, no, no, yeah. no, no. And so I feel like um, that was that, you know, having those uh, vulnerable conversations like that with students Oof. and allowing them to give you that. You know feedback and and taking it and not taking it personal right because i could have took it personal um and and just told them about themselves and put on my teacher mean teacher hat or whatever but i didn't i i just tried to explain to them what it was and so Mm -hmm. that's what i feel like with andrea you know we were talking about you know having you know making sure students had a voice and in, in a sense, because I feel like hers is more Andrea was more about student voice. And what are we doing to give students that space to have conversations uh, about what's happening and mm-hmm. also to hold them accountable uh, to mm-hmm. things? Mm-hmm. And so I felt like um, mm-hmm. that was something that I was doing. And also um, the just more time to kind of during class to kind of think about. Just kind of take a break from it, and so mm-hmm. we talked about uh doing like meditation, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. um, I felt like a five minute meditation, so some of my students voted on the reflection to do meditation, and some voted to do music, and so we've been having like five minute music breaks or five minute meditation, and we mm-hmm. i've and I just to be honest too about this is I've only been able to like really do a lot of stuff. With one of my class periods. It's my seventh period class. And mm-hmm. I have five. But in my seventh period class, for whatever reason, we've had, like, a, a better, really uh, vulnerable conversations with each other. And most of the kids in the co are my seventh period kids. I, I don't feel like I have the same relationship with all of my classes. Um, it's different types mm-hmm. of relationships. True. But I, I don't know. But I... I that's feel so like fair. if I can be of value to any student, <laughs> any grade, any class, yeah. Yeah. that that's good. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like I have to like figure out a better way to reach my other four classes mm. to be able to have these kind of conversations with mm. them. So I still feel like the expectation, like Andrea said, going back and checking in on the expectations that might be something I need to do for the rest of the year with my, mm. other, with my other classes that I feel like yeah. I am like nowhere close to being like, you know, in this collective space with them. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I am with, I feel like I'm more of a facilitator of learning in seventh. And then in my other four, I'm still like the teacher, like do this work, you better do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just don't feel the same. Uh, mm. so I don't know but anyway how, how mm. do you feel like do you feel like with your collective like what Andrea was talking about in terms of collective agreements how, do you mm. feel like you've been doing it checking in
0: yeah well okay wait so first of all just to go back just a second the co-generative dialogues if people want to learn more about that they could read um Chris Emden's work so he's I think the the person who that term or that he, idea he just originated kinda... with right
1: no, no, it's, it's or been popularized. Other it. He popularized told it, and yeah, I think okay. he his his reality pedagogy is yes. where I kind of learned about it a little bit more. He's kind of yeah. put it into practice more, I would say. Yes, so yeah. him, Thank him, you. him Thank saying you. how to put it into practice and a couple of other people too. But we'll Ooh. provide like resources uh, on the website in the about show this. Notes. Yeah, in the show <laughs> notes. Yeah. Ooh, yes, Ooh, so, uh, and so But yeah, I, I think that it's it's reality <laughs> pedagogy. Christopher Amday, he's definitely kind of helped me uh, this school year, like just trying yeah. to hang on by a thread.
0: <laughs> I'm hanging on by well, a thread. So, I um, love. I also yeah, so. like. I I really appreciate what you were saying about like different class periods having like diff- you have different results in different class periods because it's so true. So it is so. I just want to reflect back to you um, or like validate that like each class period, it's like. It's like each class period, if each class period were a different person, they would have wildly different personalities and the way that they connect to each other, like what they want to focus on, like, and and I think being responsive to each class period is hard because if you have like a single lesson plan that, so like if I have three classes of Spanish two and I have a single lesson plan I have planned for that day, it might flop in one class. I might have to like go to plan B or plan, plan C in one class. In another class, it might be like, oh, they loved it. They totally got into it. You know, it just Really depends, and like we just—that comes with. That is the dynamic territory that teaching is in, and that's just the way it is. So I appreciate you naming that because it's something I, I forget about. Um, and it just is the way it is when you're working with a group of thirty young humans. You know, um, yeah, every I, class
1: it, is gonna be different. It's just totally. Gonna, you can't, and I can't be telling people like only about seventh and I can't, I can't like. My 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 first your favorite not favorite. sorry Ah. it's not we don't have favorites we don't have favorites (laughs) (laughs) I said
0: that I didn't mean that Uh,
1: but uh, (laughs) but yeah there's just sometimes in a school year it's a class that just speaks to you and y'all just kind of come on together it clicks. and y'all totally. click and it's not that they're your favorite it's just that y'all thank it's you just for a different me. feel i don't know what it is but it's a Ugh. different feel and it happens every school year it's yes, that class yes, that yes, you're yes. just like, okay, this is the class. Love y'all. That, yeah. You know, I'm going to tell them all my business. <laughs> 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 um, so anyway, um, I, I think that that's what it is. That it's just the yeah. comfort level. It's just the personalities, really. Um, yeah totally. And then the time of day, like eighth is always hard. First oh, is always hard, right? Yes. And yes. then seventh is kind of like in that middle sweet spot. you know it's like that in but not the end so i think yeah. that that's what it is it's a lot of things that come into play, so it's a lot so of so totally things. totally yeah, and and yeah, also yeah,
0: i'll yeah. say some of those yeah. classes that like don't like click the least are the classes where i learn the most as a teacher cuz they challenge me to like get, like <laughs> dig into my bag of tricks to make to make the lesson like land you know um so there's there's no favorites um but uh no but what, what um the other thing that Jezebel talked to us about, and I was so excited about this. Was learning pods,
1: and mm-hmm.
0: I will say that um, I have I tried to make learning pods um, in the fall. Uh, it was like halfway through. It was like almost right after we talked to her in like December or something like that, or maybe it was January. I don't remember. Um, but we we, we set up learning pods where like I made a Google chat for each pod and like we would play games where like each pod was a team, but like they, it was a way for them to build relationships with each other. I think it was hard, honestly. Um, to like the way that Jessica described learning pods was like, it's a way for them to support each other. Like and each person has like a different role in the learning pod and the roles are made explicit and like they can, they can support each other in different ways. And multiple people can, um, uh, can, can take one role so that each person can tap in and tap out. It's like the way that communities should be right. Like we, we are in community, we're supporting each other, we're communicating, I think like the only thing that I could really get them to do with the learning pods, like I don't, I, if, if more conversation between people in learning pods took off, it took off like without my seeing it, honestly, like I, I think the only thing I was able to do with learning pods because we were in virtual spaces was make them teams so that they play competitively against each other and like just have fun with each other. And it was these games that were like all Spanish based, but like very low stakes. And so it was just fun. They got to name their pods. It was like a little silly. It was just a way for them to like connect with each other on a smaller scale. Um, but I, I'm really hoping that in the coming years I can take that model of learning pods and like use them in my in my in-person classes because I think, I think there's more potential. Um, I don't, I don't, I am still trying to figure out how relationship building works best in the in the virtual format, and so I'll be excited to bring it, bring those learning pods back when we're not all virtual again. You know, mm-hmm. um, and um, there was there was something else that that you said before about um like working with adults and when there are there's difference of opinions like among adults. I kind of want to see if there's space to build collective agreements in my department um and I'm not the department chair, <laughs> but like i like we have a pretty open like you know whatever our department our department is big we have like uh 25 people in our department because our school is very large um and I and I think sometimes there can be there can sometimes be communication breakdown among adults right um and I and I would love for there to be collective agreements in our department because it comes back to what Andrea said about students are way better at holding each other accountable than adults and what you were saying about like sometimes it just is hard to have the capacity to like interrupt some, um, problematic stuff from our colleagues. It's, it's hard to, to have the emotional capacity to do that while also teaching five classes and also teaching during a pandemic. This is, it's just challenging. And I think if there was collective agreements, it would make it easier to do what Corey was challenging us to do, which is like to, to build more deeply with each other outside of the classroom. Um, Uh, because the way that adults approach each other in that building, the way that they approach the building, the way they approach um, like schooling in general, their work, their labor, like that all affects what students are going to get, you know? Um, So that was just another thing I wanted to throw out there as a goal, hashtag goals.
1: Yeah, and (laughs) so from Jessica, I, I've always admired her um ability to uh say that, you know, teaching is political, right? And so mm-hmm. since I met her from the first day, she's like, teaching is political and you can't like separate it and be like it's mm-hmm. not, right? Absolutely. Uh and so I just really took that, you know, her talking okay. about, you know, um, you know, teaching being political and and what what can I do like to Help students to kind of get some traction on how they view things that's happening in the society, and so um i i um i had uh started looking one of my friends uh she was like really involved in the environmental racism over there with um general iron and they were protesting mm-hmm. and doing the hunger strikes and all of that stuff. And every time, you know, before this next unit um that I was starting, I kept getting her emails about what was happening. She's like, this is what's happening now. And they're on a hunger strike. And one of the teachers I knew, he's part of the hunger strike. You know, so they it just kept coming up, coming up, coming up. And so then I was like, well, how can I use that situation to kind of show my students and give them an opportunity to kind of weigh in on stuff like this. And so we we ended up doing something like with environmental racism mm-hmm. and, and the students being together, we had them work together. So this is probably the closest I got to like doing pods mm-hmm. <laughs> or putting mm-hmm. kids together in groups. Uh, uh, we kind of put them together and, and let them kind of really dissect the general iron situation and really look at the politics and, and and the harm that's being caused to the southeast side residents. and mm-hmm. the students this this is probably the most I've ever heard students talk. And so um, I was like, wow, so this is good. And students had things to kind of say about it. And I had them like in uh, breakout rooms Mm -hmm. and we gave them different sections of the article from The Guardian about it. And they were able to like really have this collective conversation. Some students were writing in the chat. Some students were writing on the jam board. Some students were vocalizing and some students even said, hey, why don't I know about this stuff and, mm-hmm. and how do I get more information? I said, well, you got to be a consumer of news, right? You have to like be looking at the news. You have to be yeah. paying attention to what's happening in the news so mm-hmm. that you can know. I said, the reason why I know about it is because I just told y'all my, my friend, she was emailing us, you know, about it. And so I, I it kept mm-hmm. coming up and I, and mm-hmm. it kept making me think about how can I relate this stuff to chemistry? And so that's mm-hmm. what I kind of did where, um, and, and I feel like students have more to say uh, about mm-hmm. things when we kind of intertwined it, like Jessica talked about with her lessons, um, intertwining with the social issues. So making it like a, a social justice uh, science you know, issue that you're talking about. And so I've been trying to like, and even though I didn't say that this is what I would do with, with what Jessica told us, I have been trying to really uh, add the political p- component to teaching my students uh, like she had spoke about in her lesson. And I think that that is really kind of giving my students a little, uh, a platform because they have some know-how about situations. Some of my students, they live in little village where the implosion happens. So we talked about that. And we also did like, a toxic release inventory so they could look at the pollution in their own neighborhoods. Some students live by factories that had 11, they had 11 factories that were emitting pollutants in their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And they were like, Oh my God. You know, so I think that that's kind of like, even though I didn't say that that's what I would do, I feel like with Jessica uh, just listening to her. And again, I've known her for a while. um, She always talks about how she brings in the current issues that are happening Uh, in Chicago or in, you know, in a nation into her lessons. And I feel Mm -hmm. like I can confidently say that I really, really tried with the environmental Mm -hmm. racism unit and Elements. So I feel Mm -hmm. like that's kind of where I went with her. I'm still struggling with students holding each other accountable. Um, We had a little Mm. bit of it, you know, but not... To the level that she was saying you know i don't feel like i'm there but i do want to try it next year and then this is my last thing so now what i'm doing now this is what i'm going to try to do to this is my final attempt to try to make a pod is to um the in-person students right so they're in person so now they Mm -hmm. can use the chemistry equipment right so i'm trying to see if i could create the pods like jessica was saying with the rose and have, be able to have the in-person students, they're physically performing the labs, and then the other students that are online still have a role in it. Maybe they Mm -hmm. collect the data, they're doing Mm -hmm. their timing things, something's going on with them to create that kind of pod like that. But that's kind of like my last attempt this year, but I definitely will be thinking about it for next year. So that's where I've been with (laughs) with Jessica Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and how I kind of, thought about what to do with Jessica uh you know what my takeaways were from Jessica and just you know just accepting the fact that teaching is political yeah that um we can't like separate politics from teaching right because it's there so
0: yeah and and um I'm, I'm glad you brought that piece of Jessica's conversation with us Into this space because one of the things that I really valued hearing from her was how, um, like, when I when before I wanted to be a teacher, I really loved reading the work of Paulo Freire, who was a Brazilian popular educator, and it was such a such a conundrum to me always to think about how to like really make popular education possible in the school systems that we have here in the United States and she she made it just seem so <laughs> natural and I was like well yeah like why can't I do that too so one of the pieces that I took away from her conversation was the idea of posing problems to students which is sounds like what you were doing with the general iron stuff and the um, you know environmental racism uh, unit you did um, for me the way it's looked in my classroom is literally like just asking students really open-ended questions that have political implications so like one of the one of the things we were reading in my class involved a student who was Latinx and his teacher who was also Latinx um, and I, I paused and I asked students um, and we're that my my thing is that I try to stay in Spanish as much as possible and so students like we are and aren't able to express ourselves with like the kind of we just don't have the same language that we do in English and students will um, if something's really important they'll just like spit it out in English and I will too but we try to stay in Spanish so what I what I asked them is like, do you all have a lot of teachers of color? Do you all have a lot of black teachers? Do you have indigenous teachers? Do you have Latinx teachers? Do you have Asian American teachers? Like what, what's, what's the makeup of your, your, um, of the teaching body that you're exposed to. And they were talking about how they don't have, they, they have mostly white teachers, um, at least in the school that they're in. Um, they feel like a lot of their teachers throughout their educational, um, histories have been mostly white, um, and this is this has to do with like a lot of um uh, hi, like histories in Chicago of not only segregation, but then also like the um, the school closings in 2012 that uh, displaced so many veteran black teachers. Um, but so it's a there are historic and political implications for this. And so my questions to them were like, is this a problem? Do you wish you had more? Why is it important to have more? Um, or why do you think it's important? Why do you think it's not important? And it just became this bigger conversation about diversity in education and the ability to see themselves reflected in their teachers. And, and I like, I almost, this was a small part of this one chapter of this book we were reading. And I almost like, I almost went into it like on a whim. I hadn't planned to go into it, but it ended up being a three day conversation with my students and it was (sighs) powerful. And all I had to do was ask them questions. And that to me is like, like, that's what I want. I want to be able to facilitate dialogues with my students where all I'm doing is I'm posing problems to them, where I'm saying, like, this is a thing in our world. Is that a problem? The other thing that we did was we talked about, um, well, right now we're talking about um, environmentalism and whether or not it's dangerous to be an environmentalist. Is it dangerous to be... Wow, that's awesome. (laughs) I'm (laughs) excited, Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, because, you know, at first... A lot of my students are like, no, it's not dangerous to be an environmentalist. If you're recycling, if you're blah blah blah, that's not dangerous. And then we learn about um, uh, at least in I'm teaching content that's focused in like Latin America, the Spanish-speaking world. Um, if you are an environmentalist there, if you're indigenous, if you're black. It is quite dangerous. Like Latin America is one of the most dangerous countries or spaces, continents, spaces in the world for environmentalists. So, so being able to pose problems to them that are like, do you think it's dangerous? Well, what if you learn about this story now? Do you think it's dangerous? Like, do you? Um, what are your? What did you know before that you didn't know now? How does that change your attitude? Like things like that that are, um, that are grounded in in not me like again I'm trying to think about like both posing problems and like Corey was saying being alongside them um not being like let me start my lecture by saying it's dangerous to be an environmentalist it's like what do you think what's your experience let's compare that to the experience of people in other places and people who maybe look like you maybe don't um yeah so yeah I think that that's
1: that's important because but I also think too um you can you know you you do have to um some things that like you said they they may not think it but just to pose that question to where you know they're like you know well why do i need to learn about chemical formula writing right and so we we did this uh famous thing that people kind of do um we we uh pull po- we tell them that about a dangerous chemical called dihydrogen monoxide and uh-huh. we convinced the students that dihydrogen monoxide is very dangerous has all these implications and and impacts on people and 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 we captivate them in the conversation about it and then we say do you think we should ban dihydrogen monoxide and so we i've convinced the students almost in every class that we should ban it right just by me talking to them and telling them right and so they were just like when i showed them the formula they were like hold on dihydrogen monoxide is water
0: i'm like yes Mm
1: -hmm. i said but see media and 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 any type of stories that you're seeing if you don't know and do your homework on it you're going to get caught up in it and you're going to be putting it on your facebook page or your social media instagrams about some bad dihydrogen (laughs) monoxide and i said Mm -hmm. so this is why it's important like even if you're not going to go into chemistry in college that you know about what these issues are. And so that when you look at the general iron situation, what is lead? What, what are the implications of the lead and yeah. all these other elements that are impacting the southeast side of Chicago? Mm-hmm. Why do you need to know about the science behind them? You know, and so a lot of the students were like, oh, you yeah. know, now I don't know if it'll turn into like extremely high test scores or not. But I do feel like they were more engaged when we were, when I was convincing them that dihydrogen monoxide was... I mean, they were voting in the chat. They were like, yes, man, the kids that had never voted <laughs> in the chat before. <laughs> they were like really into it. And so I just think that, you know, some of these uh, topics like is environmental... Yeah. Uh, being an environmentalist is dangerous and it is, right? Um, yeah. and, and and students, but in, in society, you know, that narrative is pushed. It's like a nice thing. Recycle everybody. Hoo, hoo, ha, yeah. This is wonderful. But they don't understand like the other, the bad side of it, right? Yeah. And the dangerous sides of it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's really awesome that you're kind of pushing the envelope and showing them that, you know, it is some dangerous stuff to be doing, yeah. right? Um, yeah. and, and you really got to you don't know, understand it, that the mm-hmm. climate change people, they have really been taking a hit. Like people that mm-hmm. are, I guess, you know, fighting for climate change mm-hmm. and people to be held accountable for it and and, and for, you know, the U.S. to stop mm-hmm. and, and you join back in with the other nations. So I think that that is like something that's a talking piece. Like you said, you can do problem posing with your students. And, and and we need to bring some of these issues to the forefront for them, yeah. because yep. they're not like necessarily going to know that this is an issue. Sometimes right. they do. Sometimes they don't. Right. Um, some students have heard about the stuff that's happening in the little village with the coal power plant because they live over there and their brothers and sisters uh, are familiar with El Vejo. Um, The -hmm. Little Village Environmental Justice Organization. Mm -hmm. So it's like we we, some students do have that prior knowledge and background Mm -hmm. that will Mm -hmm. come out in the discussion. Yes. Um, But we also need to be bringing these things up so that they can have a discussion right Right. about it. Right. And not like separating it out and just doing our traditional. This is what you need to know for these subjects.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. I, I also just wanted to throw out, like, one other thing, and I know we're um, maybe closing out soon, but um, one of the things that I have been struggling with as we, like, you know, you and I try to um, I, to be transparent for anyone listening, it's taken us months to schedule this conversation. And I think part <laughs> of it is because this has just been part of my language a fucking year. It has been a year. And, like, just finding the, the capacity... Um, to, to take on more has been hard. And the, these conversations like give me life. Like I, like I genuinely get so much from them. Also though, like I've been struggling this year with this like expectation versus reality thing and the, what, what, Um, what's expected of teachers in schools versus what we are actually capable of providing. Um, Like so much has been put on schools to be like the healing space, the learning space, the critical thinking space, the social emotional learning space, the like call all the families, make sure you have good relationships, blah, blah, blah. like all of the things are supposed to be addressed in schools. And what that means a lot of the time is that it's the worker, no, 100% of the time is that it's the workers who are making that happen, and I've just been struggling with, like, how, how this year especially has made it so obvious that we can't be martyrs, like, we can't martyr ourselves, um, for this work, we, there's, we, and, like, we can't be, we, we have to do away with that, like, savior complex, because, and, and we have to respect our own boundaries as human beings and as educators, and it's been hard, because we care deeply about our students and if they ask us to do something it's like yes like I want I want to help you grow I want to help you like live your best life and all the things and like boundaries are so important um so I it's just these are like a little bit of half thoughts but it's something I've been like sitting with a lot about how like we we I, I'm glad that we kept rescheduling this in a way because it meant that we were noticing when it was like, I actually don't have capacity. I don't have capacity. I have to put up a boundary here, here, and here. Like, that's to me, that's growth. And and if this podcast takes a long time to build, that's okay because you know what? We're full time freaking teachers, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which we means we work we can't overtime. Do
1: it all you know, it's a right,
0: lot. Right, right. It's
1: just been so heavy like some of the stories you know you probably wouldn't have taken them so deeply but the fact that you're like stuck in the house all day long to consume all this information and then you're trying to figure out how to be a good simultaneous teacher now you know and and, and I just remember you know uh seeing like the Dante Wright you know situation (sighs) and how he he called his mom and I just looked at him and he 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 just reminded me of my son and my son is in college in Maryland and I'm just like oh my god you know I called my son um uh, when I saw that and then when I saw um the video where Adam Toledo did have his hands up mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. heart just broke cuz I I just I remember the attorney said that he had the gun in his hand um, mm-hmm. and so uh, before time in court or something and, and and when they showed it i said oh my god he did have his hands up and it just broke my heart and i just cried and i just told my son i called my son i said just stand up just don't go anywhere just mm-hmm. just stay in the house i said because i really don't think that when they see you they're gonna see that you are loved that you mm. have a family, that you are a, a human, that you are a person, and that you deserve to live. No matter whatever you're doing, you don't deserve to die in that moment. And I just told him, just stay in the house. Me and my daughter called him. We were just like, just mm. don't go anywhere. You know, because he, I swear, his hair is like that curly top hair Do, And I just look. I said, oh my god. Then I, you know, it's just so much. It's just so much. And I guess you know, like it's this has been happening. You know, this has been happening for. long time. But I think just with the social media, you're just bombarded with it in your face. And and, and since you're in the house, I probably wouldn't even be looking at social media if I wasn't in the house so much. Um, I I just I'm just overwhelmed. And so that's why it's just been a hard, hard year for me. And, 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 and I just, and I, I know, I don't know, my son, he's still positive about things, but I just don't know if I was a black male, how I would be processing all of this. Like, I don't even know Ugh. how they process it and still get up every day and go outside. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like, Oh oh my God, you know, just all of that. And that trying to like being empathetic to that yeah versus like, Oh, these are the rules and people should follow rules. I think that that's really been, it's like not just in like with my son and the police brutality stuff, but just in school too, the rules. And oh. so I think in future episodes, just that hidden curriculum, like what are we yeah. doing as teachers to to kind of help, help students kind of process all of this stuff? And what is the hidden curriculum that we're promoting in class? Like mm-hmm. when you, you look at the dress code, you look at, you know, who's supposed to be smart in this subject and not? You know, I think that that's uh, some of the future things that I would will be yeah. willing to kind of be thinking about for future yeah. podcasts. Like what what is really in that hidden curriculum? Like when mm-hmm. we're telling kids to go through the metal detectors when we're and, and there haven't been any mass shootings in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So inside yeah. of schools. Right? Um, right. And So why do our students have to go through the metal detectors every day? Uh, is it the assumption that the Black and uh, Latinx students and Asian students are more dangerous uh, than these other students at other schools. So why is it there? Why do we have to have the police? Why do mm-hmm. we have these dress codes? You know, mm-hmm. why? why are we teaching that? And then why do some teachers spend a, a whole class period just addressing kids about the dress code? Like, mm-hmm. how is that like a barrier to teaching and developing mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. with students? So those mm-hmm. are some of the things that I think about that I have to like reckon with because I am a rule follower, right? If they say this is the rule, I'm gonna kinda talk to students about it being a rule mm-hmm. because I'm a rule follower. But now I'm questioning that. Like whose damn rules do I need to be following? Yeah. What's gonna be what's gonna yeah. be in the best interest of these students? And is this rule really valid? Like what is yeah. going on with this rule? Right. Like right. you know, and what is what's the origins of it? Like, where did it come from? You know, so I just, I just kind of think about that now. And so I feel like if we start questioning and interrogating things more as teachers, um, not that we haven't been, but just really like all of these structures that are already in place, like, what is the
0: purpose of it like why are we doing that so those are some ideas i have yeah yeah Uh and like also what like um you know why are we upholding them like who who benefits from them do we benefit from them do students benefit from them like what's the who how is power implicated there i think the thing that i want to that i've been thinking about too and it comes back to what um we talked about with Andrea as well, which is like the idea of creature comforts. And this is maybe the last thing I'll share and then we can, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, the the thing about creature comforts is like it, I, I want to extend that from my students to also the adults in the building because when we are like fried, burned out, um, completely like exhausted, rung dry, like that doesn't, that doesn't serve anyone that, that serves like our own sense of maybe like servitude and moral superiority. And it also like does nothing for a student's education. Ultimately, like, I think there's more, there needs to be more space where we are prioritizing the healing of educators as well. Um, yes. and how important that is. Like I think there needs to be spaces for educators of color. I think there need to be spaces for, um, that, who experience a different level of racism and microaggressions on a daily basis in our schools. I think there needs to be spaces for white people to heal from like the, the erasure of, of our own humanity. When we, when we um, perform white supremacy, I think, I think healing is important, and also just like rest, like making making those things also part of our curriculum. Like, what is what does that look like? Th- these are like really aspirational things for me. So when and you say, I'm really sorry.
1: Important. So what did you say? When you said white people, what? I could I couldn't. You said it so fast. My I said so fast. I know I
0: talk too fast. Um, from like,
1: racial erase. What say that again? I, I think
0: yeah. I think when when white people like benefit or enact benefit from or enact white supremacy that deteriorates our own humanity as a white person oh, i am less in touch okay. with my humanity when i'm like mm-hmm. on the white supremacy train um okay and like so, you, you know technically saying. we're all on the white supremacy train um but we when we're are, not fighting we against it When we're not fighting against it that also um i think white white people are less in touch with their with their full humanity
1: oh i see i see i get it i get it yeah because i i was telling somebody that um as as a black person i um have to uh step out of the white supremacy matrix so i think about the movie the matrix and i said i have to step out of the matrix and and i have to you know take the blue pill and step out of it and see what's happening and then uh go back in and fight Mm -hmm. right like Mm -hmm. in the the movie and so i understand what you're saying like because when you're in it you're just trying to survive, and you're struggling through. Yeah. But when you've ha- when you step out of the white supremacy matrix, then you're kind of like, oh my god, what is going on here? What am I doing? How am I upholding this? What do I need to do to transform this and decode this so that I can stop it? So I can dismantle it. So yeah, I understand what you're saying now because yeah, I was yeah. It was so you were saying it so fast. I talk too fast. I kinda <laughs> lost track. It's of a what you were saying. And so I totally agree with that, and I think that that's you know definitely future episodes on how do teachers you know how are you going to be a transformative teacher if if you haven't even looked at yourself and decoded you know all of the lived experiences Mm -hmm. you've had with race and racism Mm -hmm. um, how do you then how do you do that how do you start something like that with your own self and then how do you get other people to kind of join you uh, in it Um, so I think that those are definitely some meaningful next episodes uh, that we (laughs)
0: can do Uh, and,
1: and with that uh, <laughs> I guess we can end it now, huh? Can yeah, thanks episode? so much,
0: Nina. As always, right. this is... Um, yeah. All right. Do we, yeah. ha- have a lovely rest of your day. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much for listening to Pushing Praxis, Dialogues for Transforming Teaching. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we encourage you to like and share this content with your community. Follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or email us at pushingpraxis at gmail.com. Check out our website at pushingpraxis.org.